Section one of the coming race. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. The Coming Race by Edward George Bulwer Lytton. Chapter one. I am a native of blank in the United States of America. My ancestors migrated from England in the reign of Charles the Second and my grandfather was not undistinguished in the War of Independence. My family, therefore, enjoyed a somewhat high social position in right of birth, and being also opulent, they were considered disqualified for the public service. My father once ran for Congress, but was signally defeated by his tailor. After that event he interfered little in politics and lived much in his library. I was the eldest of three sons, and sent, at the age of sixteen, to the old country partly to complete my literary education, partly to commence my commercial training, in a mercantile firm at Liverpool. My father died shortly after I was twenty-one, and being left well off, and having a taste for travel and adventure, I resigned for a time all pursuit of the almighty dollar, and became a desultory wanderer over the face of the earth. In the year 1800 and blank, happening to be in blank, I was invited by a professional engineer with whom I had made acquaintance to visit the recesses of the blank mine upon which he was employed. The reader will understand, ere he closes this narrative, my reason for concealing all clue to the district of which I write and will perhaps thank me for refraining from any description that may tend to its discovery. Let me say, then, as briefly as possible, that I accompanied the engineer into the interior of the mine, and became so strangely fascinated by its gloomy wonders, and so interested in my friend's explorations, that I prolonged my stay in the neighborhood, and descended daily for some weeks, into the vaults and galleries hollowed by nature and art beneath the surface of the earth. The engineer was persuaded that far richer deposits of mineral wealth than had yet been detected would be found in a new shaft that had been commenced under his operations. In piercing this shaft we came one day upon a chasm jagged and seemingly charred at the sides as if burst asunder at some distant period by volcanic fires. Down this chasm my friend caused himself to be lowered in a cage, having first tested the atmosphere by the safety lamp. He remained nearly an hour in the abyss. When he returned he was very pale, and with an anxious, thoughtful expression of face, very different from its ordinary character, which was open, cheerful, and fearless. He said briefly that the descent appeared to him unsafe and leading to no result, and, suspending further operations in the shaft, we returned to the more familiar parts of the mine. All the rest of that day the engineer seemed preoccupied by some absorbing thought. He was unusually taciturn, and there was a scared, bewildered look in his eyes, as that of a man who has seen a ghost. At night, as we two were sitting alone in the lodgings we shared together near the mouth of the mine, I said to my friend, 
tell me frankly what you saw in that chasm i am sure it was something strange and terrible whatever it be it has left your mind in a state of doubt in such a case two heads are better than one confide in me the engineer long endeavoured to evade my inquiries but as while he spoke he helped himself unconsciously out of the brandy flask to a degree to which he was wholly unaccustomed for he was a very temperate man his reserve gradually melted away he who would keep himself to himself should imitate the dumb animals and drink water at last he said i will tell you all when the cage stopped i found myself on a ridge of rock and below me the chasm taking a slanting direction shot down to a considerable depth the darkness of which my lamp could not have penetrated but through it to my infinite surprise streamed upward a steady brilliant light could it be any volcanic fire in that case surely i should have felt the heat still if on this there was doubt it was of the utmost importance to our common safety to clear it up i examined the sides of the descent and found that i could venture to trust myself to the irregular projection of ledges at least for some way i left the cage and clambered down as i drew nearer and nearer to the light the chasm became wider and at last i saw to my unspeakable amaze a broad level road at the bottom of the abyss illumined as far as the eye could reach by what seemed artificial gas lamps placed at regular intervals as in the thoroughfare of a great city and i heard confusedly at a distance a hum as of human voices i know of course that no rival miners are at work in this district whose could be those voices what human hands could have levelled that road and marshalled those lamps the superstitious belief common to miners that gnomes or fiends dwell within the bowels of the earth began to seize me i shuddered at the thought of descending further and braving the inhabitants of this nether valley nor indeed could i have done so without ropes as from the spot i had reached to the bottom of the chasm the sides of the rock sank down abrupt smooth and sheer i retraced my steps with some difficulty now i have told you all you will descend again i ought yet i feel as if i durst not a trusty companion halves the journey and doubles the courage i will go with you we will provide ourselves with ropes of suitable length and strength and pardon me you must not drink more to-night our hands and feet must be steady and firm to-morrow chapter two with the morning my friend's nerves were rebraced, and he was not less excited by curiosity than myself, perhaps more, for he evidently believed in his own story, and I felt considerable doubt of it. Not that he would have willfully told an untruth, but that I thought he must have been under one of those hallucinations which seize on our fancy or our nerves in solitary, unaccustomed places, 
and in which we give shape to the formless and sound to the dumb. We selected six veteran miners to watch our descent, and as the cage held only one at a time, the engineer descended first, and when he had gained the ledge at which he had before halted, the cage rearose for me. I soon gained his side. We had provided ourselves with a strong coil of rope. The light struck on my sight as it had done the day before on my friends. The hollow through which it came sloped diagonally. It seemed to me a diffused atmospheric light, not like that from a fire, but soft and silvery, as from a northern star. Quitting the cage, we descended, one after the other, easily enough, owing to the juts in the side, till we reached the place at which my friend had previously halted, and which was a projection just spacious enough to allow us to stand abreast. From this spot the chasm widened rapidly, like the lower end of a vast funnel, and I saw distinctly the valley, the road, the lamps which my companion had described. He had exaggerated nothing. I heard the sounds he had heard, a mingled, indescribable hum as of voices, and a dull tramp as of feet. Straining my eye farther down, I clearly beheld at a distance the outline of some large building. It could not be merely natural rock. It was too symmetrical, with huge, heavy, Egyptian-like columns, and the whole lighted as from within. I had about me a small pocket telescope, and by the aid of this I could distinguish, near the building I mention, two forms which seemed human, though I could not be sure. At least they were living, for they moved, and both vanished within the building. We now proceeded to attach the end of the rope we had brought with us to the ledge on which we stood, by the aid of clamps and grappling hooks, with which, as well as with necessary tools, we were provided. We were almost silent in our work. We toiled like men afraid to speak to each other. One end of the rope being thus apparently made firm to the ledge, the other, to which we fastened a fragment of the rock, rested on the ground below, a distance of some fifty feet. I was a younger man, and a more active man than my companion, and having served on board ship in my boyhood, this mode of transit was more familiar to me than to him. In a whisper I claimed the precedence, so that when I gained the ground I might serve to hold the rope more steady for his descent. I got safely to the ground beneath, and the engineer now began to lower himself but he had scarcely accomplished ten feet of the descent when the fastenings which we had fancied so secure gave way or rather the rock itself proved treacherous and crumpled beneath the strain and the unhappy man was precipitated to the bottom falling just at my feet and bringing down with his fall splinters of the rock one of which fortunately but a small one struck and for the time stunned me when I recovered my senses, I saw my companion, an inanimate mass beside me, life utterly extinct. While I was bending over his corpse in grief and horror, I heard close at hand a strange sound,
between a snort and a hiss, and turning instinctively to the quarter from which it came, I saw emerging from a dark fissure in the rock a vast and terrible head with open jaws and dull, ghastly, hungry eyes. The head of a monstrous reptile resembling that of the crocodile or alligator, but infinitely larger than the largest creature of that kind I had ever beheld in my travels. I started to my feet and fled down the valley at my utmost speed. I stopped at last, ashamed of my panic and my flight, and returned to the spot on which I had left the body of my friend. It was gone. Doubtless the monster had already drawn it into its den and devoured it. The rope and the grappling-hook still lay where they had fallen, but they afforded me no chance of return. It was impossible to reattach them to the rock above, and the sides of the rock were too sheer and smooth for human steps to clamber. I was alone in this strange world amidst the bowels of the earth. End of chapter 2